Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously, that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried, and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost-effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Oh, hey, welcome back. If you are new here, my name is Lindsay, and I am a child therapist and mindful motherhood educator. I have three kids, and I come here weekly, and I do interviews, or I just share insights about conscious and peaceful parenting, how to be mindful in motherhood, maternal mental health, parenting, all the things, and I like to keep it real. So my approach is I like to blend clinical terms and theories with real life because I am a mom in real life and I know what it's like to try and apply certain parenting strategies or philosophies and they sometimes don't work very well. So anyway, today's topic is the topic everyone has been waiting for in our neurodivergent series. It is about your child being neurodivergent. And I split this into two episodes because doing autism and ADHD together felt very overwhelming and I didn't want to skimp on any information. And so I just decided I'm going to split the episodes. So today we're going to cover autism. Next week we'll cover ADHD. Now just a refresher, when we're talking about neurodivergence, that doesn't only include ADHD and autism. There are other things that fall into that, but ADHD and autism are the two that I got the most questions about and are the most talked about in parenting communities. And so those are the two that I am going to cover right now on this podcast. I may cover the others later, but I think that something to keep in mind is if you have a neurodivergent child that doesn't fall into either of these categories, that doesn't mean that you can't apply the information and the tips because pretty much the tips are for if your child's brain processes information differently than a neurotypical brain. And if that's the case, then you can apply these tips. And so, but the examples and things are going to be geared more toward those two. So with autism, I'm not going to go super into the signs of autism because I think that those are, there's so many different signs and they come up in so many different ways and also they're easily Googleable. <laughs> and so I'm going to talk about ways more that you can support yourself and your child through this process. 
but I just want to cover like in general a few basic things. So it's called the autism spectrum because there are a wide range of symptoms, how they present, and severity of symptoms. And people tend to think that the spectrum is like one end is like a little bit of autism and the other end is a lot of bit of autism. And that is not necessarily how it works. So autism isn't a set of defined symptoms or boxes you can check and they don't get worse as you go up the spectrum. One of the main distinguishing features of autism happens to be the fact that it's an uneven profile of abilities. So there's a saying, if you've met one person with autism, you have met one person with autism because every person who has autism presents differently and there is there is not a cookie cutter way to diagnose or approach this. It's a collection of related neurological things that are so intertwined and impossible to really pick apart that professionals have just kind of stopped trying because it's not doable. So your brain just processes information differently these, or your child's brain processes information differently and these are some of the things that commonly show, show up like uh, struggling with language this is the the losing language the eye contact pieces are the things we so commonly hear about um when our children are small and going to the pediatrician and we're doing those regular checkups um social awareness this is like knowing facial expressions picking up on social norms those things monotropic mindset but this is like the ability to focus but in a very intense way and hyper focus on and, and become almost obsessive about certain interests. So if you watch the show Atypical, which I love on Netflix, I haven't finished the whole thing, but I, I love it. Um, and I think it really shows a good perspective of like what a family deals with, but also like what a child deals with when they have autism. Um, but in the show, the main character, Sam, he has, he knows everything about penguins and Antarctic penguins. And so this was his like monotropic mindset surrounding penguins. There's also information processing. So um, struggling with like applying information to new situations. This is where maybe like black and white thinking, like adapting information to new situations. The other, another thing is sensory processing. So we talk about like hypersensitive sensitivity or hyposensitivity. So under stimulation, under sensitivity or overly sensitive to stimulation. There are also repetitive behaviors. This is like the stimming um, that can be beneficial or harmful depending on how severe they are and what they look like. And then there's neuromotor differences like controlling body movements, clumsiness, um, ability to move with intention. So those are kind of the different categories and what symptoms can look like. I'm sure you've heard of those things referred to in the terms of autism symptoms or signs. And if you haven't, definitely like Google the symptoms and do your research. I think it can look different at different ages as well. So, but recognize that there's no cut and dry. If you have these symptoms, you have autism. And that is what makes diagnosing and getting resources so difficult for parents. So I would suggest if you have a younger child 
who is like two, three, and you suspect that they may be on the autism spectrum, I would start with talking to your pediatrician about what makes you think that and see what their concerns are or if they what they feel about your concerns. Typically, it's a speech concern at this age and some like social cue eye contact pointing at things. And if they see a need or want you to pursue further testing, they will refer you to a good place to do that. Typically, it is early intervention. And then early intervention can come in and do testing. That's through your local school district. But I, I think the best place to start is always with your pediatrician. And I have a great pediatrician. I just have to give him a little shout out. So I, I don't know if you know my story with Sam. <laughs> and I'm in, in the middle of trying to get an autism diagnosis for him. And, and because of the nature of autism and how things present, it is so tricky. And we went through one round of testing and they came back and said he didn't have it. It was a neuropsych which is what they typically do. And then it's been a year and now he's saying like, mm, I don't necessarily agree with that. My pediatrician is, and I agree with my pediatrician. I've always kind of had a gut feeling that there's something there. And so he is going to have me do another neuropsych, but he's so great and that he recognizes how difficult this is and how costly it can be that he called me just which to have your pediatrician call you, I think, can feel like a big deal and is like, hey, hold off on scheduling that because I found you some resources that can get you in quicker and that are closer to you and that will take your insurance. And he emailed me this list of people and he had like pre-checked that they took my insurance and all this stuff. And that was really kind. So I think having a pediatrician who supports you and who you feel like is on your team makes this process so much easier because you don't feel like you're fighting against something and you know that there's someone who genuinely cares about your family and your child and wants to help in whatever way possible. And if you have a child who you think may be on the spectrum or you already have a diagnosis, I'm sure you know your role is going to be as your child's biggest advocate. And so when when there's someone else who gets it, it can just feel so relieving and supportive. Okay, so the pediatrician can direct you with where to go. If they're a little older, you'll likely get feedback from the school if they are struggling. And this is where we end up in a weird rigmarole with like diagnosing. A lot of parents don't want their child labeled or diagnosed because they don't want them to feel different. And I 1000% understand that. And if it weren't for the system and how the system is set up, I would I would say the same thing, except that in order to get your child the resources that they need, you typically have to have the medical diagnosis. So that's where it gets tricky. Like, so if they're struggling in school and they need extra help, you typically need that diagnosis to support that or to have your insurance cover a certain kind of therapy that is effective. It's called ABA therapy. Um, you have to have the medical diagnosis. And so you have to go through the testing and through the process and through the hoops to get your child the resources that they need. And once you have a diagnosis, then you have to go through the IEP process, which is a whole other rigmarole. And you 
really are just going to have to be your child's biggest advocate for the the things that they need in the environments that they deserve to be in like school like they deserve to have an environment that caters to them and how their brain operates and unfortunately within the world we live in you have to sometimes fight to make that happen I also think that with extracurricular activities you're going to have to be able to educate teachers instructors Um, coaches on your child because your child deserves to be there just as much as any other child and them their brain not processing things in the same way or them having a struggle with a certain thing should not keep them from doing the things that they want to do and our job I feel as parents is to educate ourselves and take care of ourselves as much as we can so that we can advocate for our kids and give them the best childhood and environment possible so my tips for if for parenting and your child. Plan for disruptions. You know the situations that set your child off. It can be, if we're talking like this, some of the sensory stuff, certain clothes, things like that. I'll give you an example in my, and I'm laughing because this has happened more times than not. Like if Sam is wet in any way, he takes his clothes off and So I know that that's a quirk he has. And I don't know if that's related to autism or not, but I'm just going to use it as an example. And it could be a sensory thing. It could not be. It could have nothing to do with it. But um, so there have been times where, and I think it was a mom fail in one of my first podcasts, he literally got naked in the kangaroo zoo, which is like a little bouncy house place. And one of our friend's kids was like, uh, Sam's naked. And he had gotten water on his clothes from the drinking fountain and he stripped naked and went for it. And so this, and he like didn't want to put his clothes back on because they were wet. So when I say plan for situations or disruptions, something we do is they had a water day at school where they were just going to get a little wet outside at school. And I sent extra clothes because I knew that Sam was not going to want to be in his wet clothes and he would try and get naked. And I told the teacher this is how Sam is. I've sent extra clothes and it all worked out fine. Had I not planned for that, I may have been getting a very different phone call from the school about my child being butt naked in school. And that's a whole different thing. So that's just a a small example. If you know that bedtime is tough, make a plan for bedtime to help your child have the things that help them calm down, whether it's a weighted blanket We recently got this really cool, my mother-in-law got it from Alaska, but I need to Google the name of it and see if I can find them. They are scented um, stuffed animals that you can actually warm up in the microwave so they get warm, but it smells like lavender and it's so calming. So it's his favorite, it's soft, he loves it, but he can also smell it to help calm down if he gets upset or anxious. Now, setting your environment up for success is something I talk about a lot and I go really deep into in my coping for kids course. So if you want more info on that, get on the wait list because I I do a deep dive into how to set your environment up for success with your child. But you want to just do the best you can to make sure that your child is 
set up and you plan for the things that you know set them off to avoid disruption for them and disruption for you. Now, you can't do this 100% of the time, and so there are going to be disruptions, but I think planning for what you can will make the other times feel like you can cope better and it just feels more manageable. So that's something I always try and do. Like this weekend, we got a haircut. Haircuts are not a fun thing in our house. And so I I planned for that. I prepped and it still did not go great, but I knew that that's how it probably was going to go. And so in a way, planning for him helps me mentally plan for and prepare myself for those difficult parenting moments so I can be more in the moment with him during those. The next one is teaching social skills. I think it's super important that all kids learn social skills, but if you have a child that's on the spectrum, you know social skills can be a struggle. And this is why it's really important to teach emotional recognition and in my end expression. So I have a freebie. It's called It's Okay to Cry. You can go to the link in the show notes and download it. Talks about ways we can teach our kids to express emotions. But one cool way to teach our kids about emotions is to talk about them when we see them or in shows that they like. So find something your child is interested in and use that to teach them about emotions and social situations and how we show up in different social situations and what norms are. So if you're going to be on an airplane, a social norm is to not kick the seat in front of you. That's something any child probably doesn't understand. So you can teach your kid beforehand, we don't kick the seat in front of us. Talk about it. And then when you're on the plane, remind them we don't kick the seat in front of us. And and that's a way to teach social norms. And then kind of quiz them after. Remember, what, what do we do on a plane? Do we kick the seat in front of us? No. Okay. So just using everyday life and opportunities to teach social norms and social skills. And you have to be pretty explicit because the way the brain with autism processes information, it does not pick up on those things automatically. And so being pretty explicit in like when someone... When you bump into someone, you say, excuse me, and saying that out loud rather than expecting them to just pick up on it. The, the third thing I have is focus on strengths. Your child has so many strengths. I'm going to say it again. Your child has so many strengths. And I know that if you're listening to this and you just received a diagnosis or you have a gut feeling that your child is on the spectrum, you may be feeling worried and concerned about their future and what life looks like. But I just want you to know that there are so many strengths and I know you know what they are. I know you can see them and focus on those. Praise those and foster those because those are the things that one will help build their self-worth And also the brain, all kids love praise, but the neurodivergent brain loves it more than a neurotypical brain. So really praising all the great things about your child. This next one's a little more practical and it's pick one thing at a time to work on. I think when we finally have an answer maybe to why our child has some of 
the the symptoms or signs that they do we want to we want to work on everything like okay I need to teach them social skills I need to teach them um, eye contact I, well that's a social skill dang I need to teach them about like black or white thinking I need to teach them this and and instead of doing that like let's take a breath and focus on one thing at a time because if you try and do too many things at a time you're going to get so overwhelmed that you're going to cry and quit and feel like a failure and your child is going to feel like you're changing everything about them which then leads to low self-esteem and possibly feeling like they're not good enough and i know that is not your intention your intention your intention is to only do the best for your child and to get them all the help and all the resources that they need. But I really recommend just slowing down and starting with one thing. So it's one behavior. Maybe we want to work on not getting in people's personal space. So we talk to our child about it. We point out in situations how when people aren't in their space, what that looks like. We point out how it feels when people are in our personal space. And then when our child gets in other people's personal space, we prompt them and just remind them gently, hey, remember that we don't get in people's personal space and we help them gently back up if we need to. And then when they don't get in someone's personal space, you praise the heck out of them for not being a space invader. That's what I call kids. They're space invaders. Anyway, so we praise the heck out of them for not doing it. And we do that and we do that until it's solid. And they may still slip up. They may still need prompts. But once it's solid, then you're like, okay, and you can move on to the next thing that you want to work on. But if you try and change everything, I promise you, it's not going to turn out good. You're going to be so overwhelmed. Your child is going to be overwhelmed. And the skills will not sink in and be as effective as if you were to just take it one thing at a time. My last tip for the, the parenting a child side is have solid routines because the neurodivergent brain thrives on routine, but understand that we need to teach flexibility and the ability to cope because in life, I don't know if you knew this or not, Things don't always go like we plan them to. I mean, I really wish they did, but there will be that day that you get a flat tire or you're sick or grandma has to drive your child to school and that can throw a child who is very rooted in routine off so badly. So just recognize that yes, routines are great. We need them. They give our children feelings of safety and structure children who are neurodivergent especially thrive on them and we need to teach them to cope with those feelings when things don't go as planned so say you know something isn't going to go as planned one day like um grandma's gonna drive them to school tell them beforehand give them time to prep for it but then also help them cope with the feelings that they have talk through them help them learn skills because these things will happen And we don't want to create kids who can't be flexible. We also want our children to feel safe. So it's finding that balance and and helping ourselves in that way too, right? Like I think we want to be routine and structured and we can be rigid almost in a way where we're not flexible and not able to go with the flow. So that's my... Those are my biggest tips for the parenting piece. Now, I have 
tips for the mother as well. Because if you are not your best mama bear self, you are not going to be able to advocate for your child and be present with your child. And those are the most important things. All kids need to feel unconditionally loved and accepted. And if your child is neurodivergent, they that needs to be in the forefront of your thinking when it comes to parenting. Because like I said before, you can get so focused on skill teaching and adapting and helping them that it can come across as trying to change them or not accepting and loving them for who they are. So keep that in the forefront of your brain. I also think doing some very deep personal inner work about your expectations and beliefs and hopes and dreams for your child is a really good way to get to that place of being able to convey unconditional love and acceptance to them. If your child receives any kind of diagnosis with anything, whether it's diabetes, autism, anxiety, ADHD, there is a grieving process that I think the parent has to go through for themselves and for their child. And it is going to come in waves and probably going to happen at each different age and stage of their life because you are going to have to let go of the belief and expectation of what you thought things would look like and accept how they are and feel gratitude for how they are. But I don't want you to just brush right past that and discount that there is grief. And grief isn't always bad and it's a totally normal emotion, but I think because it happens typically at deaths or losses, we think that it's negative or bad. It is really just uncomfortable, right? It's saying this, I, I'm I'm losing this, right? And in this case, you are losing the, the expectation of what you thought life would look like for you and your child, which that's what motherhood is anyway, because we all go into motherhood with these expectations and beliefs for how our kids will be or should behave. And then we have to grieve the loss of that because it's not at all like we expect. But I think especially in these situations where... A child maybe will be teased for being different or quirky and they may not be into sports like you wanted them to be or like you were or you may struggle to connect with them in the way that you dreamed or imagined when you became a mom. You have to grieve that. That is a very real loss for you as a mom. And until you fully grieve that, I don't think or... I I don't even, I think you're always grieving that, but when I say fully grieve that, I mean until you fully admit that there's grief with that and that it's going to come in waves, I don't think you can be present with your child because you're always holding on to or pushing away these waves of sadness or grief. And so part of that is finding a safe space for yourself to talk about what this is like and what things you're grieving. And that can be a support group. It can be your own therapist. It can be friends. It can be this podcast. It's just finding someone that you feel like gets you and you can say, 
like, okay, this is hard. And I imagined that, you know, my child would be into baseball and they are not. They would rather learn everything about dinosaurs or penguins, right? Or my I thought my child would love to be cuddled and because they have sensory issues, they don't really like to be touched. Or I thought my child would be able to communicate their needs to me and they can't right now. So I know this is a tough one and I, I just want you to know I am here for you. I see you. I feel you. And it's so important to find people that can be a support to you. And that may be your spouse, but recognize that they are also grieving in their own way. So I think you need your individual people to be able to get support from and that will validate you. The next tip is to educate yourself. So as once, and I think once you fully acknowledged that there is loss associated with this, um, then you can step into, I can be fully present with my child, recognize their strengths and be their biggest advocate, right? And without you getting that support for yourself, you don't have the mental space or energy to step into being their biggest advocate. And that's where you want to educate yourself about what's going on with your child, things that may help them um, with like as far as resources go or creating workarounds in their brain, things that will help calm them, helping you find ways to connect with them if that's a struggle and then you want to educate the teachers the the instructors the coaches the other people in your child's life your your friends um if they're going to be watching your kids your your other child care providers grandparents all those other people who'll be interacting with your kid on the best way to approach and interact with them and why they maybe have some of the reactions that they do so that they can be more empathetic and understanding and also your child can have the best experience possible so um teenagers often teach like swim instruction and gymnastics classes and maybe chair and so if you have a child that wants to be enrolled in those things these teenagers likely don't have education or training on how to handle different situations and like we said every child with autism is totally different so if you can go into that first day of class and say hey this is my kid this is what he'll likely do in this situation and this is what you can do to help him that person is going to be so grateful and they are going to feel your support and your child is going to therefore have a better experience because the instructor won't feel frustrated and not know what to do because they're 16 years old and they're making minimum wage just trying to teach kids how to do somersaults or how to swim, right? So taking accountability for that piece, like being the advocate and helping people understand the best way to interact with your child. And I think if if as parents we do that, then we are also extending the web of people who are educated about neurodivergence and that it's common and helping create a better, more educated and compassionate world for everyone around us. Which So not only are you helping your child, but you are helping another child that may show up in their class. Okay, so just to recap, the things you can do for yourself as a mom, let yourself grieve. 
get support where you can, educate yourself, and educate those around you in your support system and your child support system. And if you do these things, it will be easier to show up and unconditionally love and accept your child, recognize their strengths, and be present with them so that you can help them walk through this journey called life as a neurodivergent child. And it really, there's, and and this will help them understand that there's nothing wrong with them. Their brain just processes information differently and they have skills and tools that they can use to work around those things and to have the most fulfilling life possible for them. So, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me via email. It's lins at lynsadamslcsw or on Instagram at lins underscore adamslcsw. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a mom friend. See you next week. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams LCSW. Thank you.